Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. This morning, we're going to continue in week two of our series, Equipping the Saints. And I I just want to kind of start off this morning by showing you where we're going to go. I'm going to recap a little bit, and then we're going to get in. So the first thing that we're going to talk about this morning is this, defining works of service. You see, Paul tells us that in Ephesians chapter 4, he says that God has given to the church these specific gifts, the gift of pastor, the gift of apostle, the gift of prophet, the gift of evangelist, not necessarily the guy, not necessarily the person, but, but the office itself. I, I, it's funny, if, you, if you'll do a little bit of study and you'll read right before verse 11, if you'll do some study in Ephesians 4, you'll find out that the offices in the church that we call offices, like pastor, teacher, all those other things, they're actually, according to Paul, they're labeled as spiritual gifts. It says that Jesus ascended on high and he gave gifts to men. And then two verses later, he says, and some he gave to be, okay? And so, uh, so apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, all of those people are called to equip the saints for the works of service. But the challenge is we don't know what that means. We don't exactly know what works of service are about. So we're going to talk about works of service. We're going to define that. Second thing we're going to do this morning is we're going to learn how spiritual gifts fit into the equation. And I know that that's an important question to many of you. We're not only going to learn how spiritual gifts fit into the equation, but we're going to talk about your calling, uh, which is just a kind of a, a new age word that we use a lot to reference usually a spiritual gift or to reference something that God is leading you towards. We're going to talk about talents and abilities, but we're also going to talk about purpose. Show of hands, how many of you want to have purpose in life? The rest of you are great. It's cool. I'm good with you. Anyway, so, so and then the last thing that we're going to do is we're going to hear a testimony from Ryan Syverson on how this actually builds up the body. He, he's a, an example of somebody who uh, began to plug in, and because of the church equipping him, and because of the people around him equipping him, and because of the people investing in his life, and the works of service that he's gotten plugged into, and the things that he's able to do, just as a, as a fellow Christian, uh, we're going to talk about how that builds him up, and I'm, I'll, I'll walk him through some fun stuff with that. So, so that's what we're going to talk about today, but a quick recap on where we've been. We, we talked last week that God has given these particular gifts, these particular spiritual gifts, for the equipping of the saints. And the first thing that we learned last week was that to equip means to provide you with the tools necessary to, to uh, bring about or bring the kingdom to bear inside of your life. How many of you remember that from last week, even in the midst of the tables. Okay, awesome. So equipping means providing you with the tools necessary to bring the kingdom to bear in your life. We're going to talk a little bit deeper about what the kingdom looks like today so that you're going to understand that last phrase, bringing the kingdom to bear. But here's why this is so important. A show of hands last week proved, and and show of hands every time will prove, that the people that come to church, the people that actually show up on a Sunday morning, deeply desire to do what God wants them to do. Amen? Right? We want to do what God wants us to do. The dilemma is not in the want to. The dilemma is in the how to. Do you know what I'm saying? The dilemma is not in the want to. You guys are like, yeah, I'm here, aren't I? Right? I I used to be under a pastor. He's, He's such a great guy. But... 
I was under a pastor, and, and he used to get really tired of the people not showing up on Sunday morning, right? And so there would be all the empty chairs, and he'd get really mad. And he'd get up on stage, and he'd just start yelling at the people who weren't there, okay? And so he'd be like, people need to start showing up to church on Sunday, and I can't believe this, blah, 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 blah. And we'd get into staff meeting on Tuesday, and I'd go, hey, who are you yelling at? He's like, people that aren't there. I was like... Yeah, that's the point. They didn't hear you, right? Send them an email, but tell the people that are there, thank you for showing up, right? Even if you just showed up to make your mom happy today. Anyway, so, so we are here, pastors and teachers. This is the purpose of a pastor and teacher, to equip the saints to provide the tools necessary to bring the kingdom to bear in your life because our want to is there. It's our how to that is broken. It's our how to that needs to be informed. So why do we need to bring the kingdom to bear? Here's the second point we learned last week. Because the kingdom of God touches every aspect of your life. Everybody remember my box? This is your box too, right? It represents your life. It represents my life. Our lives are filled with all kinds of stuff, aren't they? Some things that, that we've added to our life, right? Some things that we've, we've added to it. You know, we've gotten married. We've added kids. We've added kids. We've added kids. We've added kids. Anyway, so, so, so we've added kids to our life. But some things kind of came preloaded in our life. You guys know what I'm talking about. Maybe it's your talents or your abilities or something like this. But the truth is, we need to know how the kingdom of God is brought to bear in all of those areas. If you're an artist, if you're a person that has creative ability, you might look at this and go, that's great, but I just don't know how the kingdom of God plays in. Maybe you're not a creative person. Maybe it's just the work that you do, and you're going, I, I, don't, I don't really get it. See, again, your want to is there. It's the how to that you need a little bit of help with, okay? And so, so the Bible talks about the kingdom being brought to bear in all these areas of life. I'm going to take a little time aside and kind of jump up on a soapbox. I've been in music most of my life, okay? Uh, I, I love music. I love playing music. I love to sing. I love to do all those different things. But I've been in music all my life. And there was this trend that started to happen uh, when I was kind of coming up in worship ministry and when I was coming up in church ministry. I was 19 and I was an idiot. And anyway, whatever, I still kind of am. Anyway, so I was coming up and, and I started hearing this phrase all the time. People would say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to be known as a Christian artist. How many of you have ever heard that? How many, anybody with creative people? I don't want to be a Christian artist. And then the argument is always this. This is really cool. You're going to see how the kingdom touches this. The argument is always, if I was a plumber, would I walk around calling myself a Christian plumber? And my response to that is, okay, I get your argument. But here's what I want you to understand. The kingdom is to be brought to bear in every aspect of your life. This goes for if you're a painter, it goes if you're a metal sculptor, it goes if you're a writer, I don't really care. You say things like, I don't want to be known as a Christian something because a plumber wouldn't be a Christian plumber. But here's what I know about a plumber who is also a Christian. He or she is going to act like a Christian at all times. And so, no, they might not put it on their van. They might not put a sticker on their life that says, I'm a Christian so-and-so. But their life is going to display, I'm a Christian so-and-so, isn't it? Because the truth is, when I was growing up, when I was coming along, most people used that as an excuse so that they could go into the world, play music, and be heathens just like the rest of the world, do whatever they wanted to do, say whatever they wanted to say, drink whatever they wanted to drink, act whatever way they wanted to act, and then come to church on Sunday and say, still a Christian. It's nonsense. 
See, bringing the kingdom to bear, if you're a creative person, means allowing God, allowing the kingdom to show through everything you do. So if you're a Christian artist, or if you're an artist who happens to be a Christian, guess what? You're going to look like Christ. Otherwise, you're fooling yourself and not anybody else, because we all kind of see it. So, so the kingdom of God touches every area of our life. We talk about creative abilities. We talk about our kids. We talk about the breakfast table. Last week, we set the table for the series. We kind of set a lot more than just the table for the series, right? And we showed you that the kingdom of God comes to the breakfast table. When we're praying together at the breakfast table, it's the dinner table, it's the lunch table, it's when you come and go at your house, right? But when we pray together, when we learn together, when we, uh, when we worship together, what are we doing? Works of service that build up our family. Amen? If we don't do those things, why would we be surprised when our family is not built up? Why would we be surprised? We shouldn't be surprised. So we talked about that. The kingdom of God touches every aspect of our life. And how does it touch it? Through works of service. And here was the real cool principle about works of service. Here it is. If we don't love people, you can put people in there, but if we don't love enough to serve, the truth is we don't love. What did we learn about the Christian life last week? It's a race to the back of the line. It's a race to the back of the line. You know what the world does? The world wants to be first, right? The world tries to cut and cheat and steal and move up the corporate ladder in any way that just trumps everybody else. And the Christian life is a race to the back of the line. In your marriage, it's a race to the back of the line. With your kids, it's a race to the back of the line. I don't like that, Nathan. I don't like that. Yeah, no duh. That's why there's a big cost to pay when it comes to following Jesus. It's not, I get to be first. I sit down with so many people that talk about the struggles that they're having in life and what it often comes down to is whether or not I'm willing to go to the back of the line. Whether or not I'm really willing to lay it all down and serve. So here's, again, what Ephesians chapter 4 says. Ephesians 4, let's put that up there. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the works of service. We need the tools necessary. We need to know the kingdom touches every aspect of our life. And last but not least, we need to understand that we are serving. That's what we're called to do. And if we say we love people, what are Christians supposed to be identified by, church? Love, right? If we say we love people but we will not serve them, the truth is we're not a loving people. We're not who we claim to be. Amen? So it's challenging, I know, I get that, but we can move forward, we can get better at this. Remember, <laughs> our want-to is fine, it's our how-to that's broken, okay? So this morning, we're going to start with defining works of service, this term, works of service. Define works of service, let's go with it. The first word is work, I want you to pronounce this with me. It's pronounced ergon, please do the tongue trill, ergon, it's, it's fun to watch you do this. Anyway, so let's do it again, ergon. You guys, you don't like me. I can tell. You're like, I'm not doing it. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to sound like an idiot for you. Fine. I'll sound like an idiot in front of you. I do that a lot. So work is ergon. And here's the definition of work. It means act, deed, or thing done. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, duh. <laughs> I know what work is. I'm going there tomorrow. And I'm not happy that you brought it up before the weekend's over, right? So, so it's an act, it's a deed, or it's a thing done. I'm sure you guys have today. Hopefully no moms have acts, deeds, or things to get done today. Hopefully dads and kids will take care of it. But anyway, acts, deeds, or things done, right? This is work. This is the Greek word for work of service. Now, the word service is this. 
I, I just kind of phonetically put it out. This is how it is said. Deakonia. So say that with me. Deakonia. Come on. Deakonia. Deakonia. Okay, so service means this. And this is like, duh, Nathan, I know this. But you're going you're gonna to crack up when you see what it means in its context. It says, of those who or by those who. So who would that mean? Us, okay? Service is of those who or by those who execute the command of another. So work means act, deed, or thing done. And service means of those who execute the command of another. You want to know what the biblical shorthand for work of service is? Here's what it is. Look, look. Obedience to God. Obedience to God. It's an act, it's a deed, it's a thing done of those or by those, that's you, uh, of those who execute the command of another. Who's the another in our, in our equation? God is. So what do we do? We obey God. How many of you ever thought, you know what, I need to be equipped to obey God? You do. You need equipped to obey God. You might look at this and say, listen, I can read the Ten Commandments. I know what God said. I can read my own Bible. I know what God said. That's true. And there's no downplaying the personal relationship that each individual has with the Heavenly Father. But God has placed in the church specifically gifted people for a reason. And their reason is to equip the saints to obey God. Paul said it. I didn't say it. I'm just telling you what he said. So, so he says, I've given these people to equip. And guess what those people are responsible to do? They're responsible to rightly divide the word of God so that you can apply it in every aspect, in every area of your life. And that's where we struggle. Every one of us knows, okay, I'm not going to murder anybody, Nathan. I'm good. I didn't, I didn't need you to tell me that. No, you probably didn't need me to tell you that. On Monday in traffic, you might need me to tell you that, but you don't need me to tell you that, right? But here's when you really struggle. So I'm having this issue. And I'm working with this guy at work, and he is saying this, and, and he's like kind of telling me, like, listen, this is not a sin, it's not an issue there, but, but uh, it's, it's neither just readily available, it's not a good thing to necessarily do, but I think we should do it. And in your heart, you're like, I got this check in my spirit, I don't think we should do this kind of thing. Guess what? You are going to need somebody that walks beside you and says, I understand, I understand what you're getting into, but that's not right. That's not a good thing. You need somebody to coach you along because we all struggle with obeying God at times. Guys, obeying God in the simple things is simple. That's why we call it simple things, right? But obeying God when it's complex and challenging, that's when life is difficult, right? That's when we don't understand. That's when everything goes awry. So work of service in its shorthand simply means obedience to God. I absolutely love it. Next slide. So, Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. Let's read it with this understanding. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, giving them the tools necessary to bring the kingdom to bear. What does the kingdom being brought to bear mean? It means works of service. It means obedience to God in every aspect of your life. Here's what's really awesome about obedience, church. When you obey God, you will serve others because God said to serve others. It's like, 
mind-blowing, right? No, that's just Nathan. I'm like, I finally got it. It's amazing. But anyway, so the truth is that we're called to obedience. This is what Paul is telling us we need help to do. But what's the result of our obedience to God? And I'm going to Harken back to something from last week. It says that when we will obey God, after we're equipped and we obey God, it says that it will build up the body of Christ. I told you last week, we cannot expect to get the results that God has called us to, to to reap the benefits, to, to experience the blessings of God. We cannot hope to get them if we will not do as he prescribed to get there. Do you guys, are you guys tracking with me? You asleep? Moms, give me an amen, just so I know you're here. Okay, awesome. At least moms will amen me. Okay, so you cannot hope to get to the goals God sets if you will not do as God prescribed. And God's prescription is this, that he has given to the church pastors and teachers and prophets and apostles and and, and leaders, evangelists, for the equipping of the saints to provide you with the tools necessary so that you can obey obey God. And in your obedience, the body of Christ is built up. But what we want to do is we want to say, well, we'll just build up the body of Christ anyway. Holiness is not important. Being being like Jesus, not really that important. Listen, I can't do it anyway. Nonsense. You can do it. You couldn't do it before you were saved. You couldn't do it before the Spirit of God dwelled inside of your heart. But there is absolutely no reason, no excuse now. God says, I have given you all things pertaining to life and godliness. Life and godliness. He has called us to be a holy church, church. And guess what happens when you will submit to that? It's amazing. We all get built up. We all get built up. We actually grow. So the definition of works of service so that you understand is simply obedience to God. Look at how that applies in every area of your life. You look at your kids and you're like, okay, I'm not really sure how this is going to work. Well, the Bible says... Okay, that's what the pastor and the teacher is supposed to do, right? Well, the Bible says, says don't provoke your children to anger. Show of hands, how many of you have done that this week? Yes, yes. I'm not always great as a dad. But anyway, so provoke them to anger. Don't do it. Why? Because the last thing you need is an angry, irrational little creature. They're already, they're already irrational. If you add anger to it, you got serious problems, right? And so the point is, don't don't provoke them to anger. Why? Because you want your children to know that life is about you growing them. It's about you building them up. Here's something that I just learned as a pastor, and I, I'm, it's just sad that I'm so slow about this. But anyway, so the idea is the same for people. When you're teaching people, the scripture says to do so with all gentleness. How many of you know that? All gentleness. And I'm like, yeah, right. I like being a bulldozer. That's a much funner way to do it, right? With all gentleness. Why? Because what we're conveying through gentleness, what we convey through teaching with gentleness is this is a process. We're in a race. Amen? It's, it's not tomorrow that you need to like figure all this stuff out. I mean, hey, Jesus might come back tomorrow, but, but we're not going to be perfect. We're not going to be set. You know, we're not going to have everything in order is what I'm trying to say tomorrow. But we live each day in pursuit of following God. Amen? That's what we're supposed to do. This is why parents need to teach their children with gentleness. This is why pastors need to teach their people with gentleness. And I'm sorry that I haven't always done that. 
But it's my hope and my goal as we move forward to be that exact person. So we've defined works of service. The thing you're called to, it's obedience. You can see how it applies in many areas of your life. I'll leave it to your imagination for that. The next thing that we're going to talk about this morning is learning how spiritual gifts fit in to the equation. The same Apostle Paul who wrote uh, to the Ephesians also wrote to the Corinthians. And he said this amazing, amazing line in 1 Corinthians 12. Here's what he said. He said, but to each one, but to each one, I need to take a, a brief time out to ask you, who plays a role in the body of Christ? Each one. Say it with me. Each one. <laughs> this is awesome. There's not one person in this room, if you are redeemed, if you are surrendered to Jesus, that does not have something to offer and some part to play. The reason why church attendance is so infrequent, the reason why people don't like, you know, uh, get plugged into all kinds of things is because there's a whole lot of people who say, there's no use for me. There's no use for me. You have a want to, your how-to might be broken, but you also have a, a, an internal issue in maybe, maybe self-esteem where you go, I'm worth nothing around here. What good do I do? I mean, you got preaching covered, you got singing covered, what the heck? We need you for a lot more than just services on Sunday. We need you for a lot more than just straightening the chairs. Please, somebody straighten the chairs for me. Anyway, we need you for a lot more than those things. What we need you for is the gift God gave you so that you can help us, in obedience to God, build up the body of Christ. So Paul says this, he says, but to each one, and he goes on, is given, not might be given, not could be given, is given, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. This is one more phrase in the Bible that talks about the gifts of the Spirit. As a matter of fact, it's 1 Corinthians 12. That's the whole chapter. It's all about gifts of the Spirit. So to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Say it with me, church. For the common good. Say it again. For the common good. Oh, this is a huge deal. So pastors and teachers are to equip us for the works of service. Works of service mean obedience to God. Spiritual gifts play into this somehow. They're a part of this equation somehow. But the question is how? Paul says all of your gifts, all of the manifestations of the Spirit, all the things that God has given you are actually for the common good, which means this about spiritual gifts. And this is going to probably ruffle some that have a faulty view of spiritual gifts. But, but this is what this means. It means that our giftings are to be leveraged in service for obedience. Can you say that with me? Our giftings are to be leveraged in service for obedience, okay? That means they're to be employed. That means to be there applied towards obedience, and that is for the whole body, the common good. But there might be a better way for me to say it, and, and this is the better way, I think. Gifting, purpose, talent, etc., because I think there's a lot of ways that all these play in, okay? Gifting, purpose, talent, etc., are all means to an end, not an end in themselves. God did not give you a spiritual gift so that you will develop spiritual capital inside of the church. God did not give you a spiritual gift or whatever you want to call them. I believe that they're spiritual gifts, teaching and preaching and all these other things, as well as speaking in tongues and prophecy and healing and all these other things. He did not give them to you so that you could walk around telling everybody you're a prophet, you're an apostle, you're a healer, you're a pastor, you're a teacher, you're a shut it, okay? Shut it. 
What you are is a servant. Can you imagine this? Like in the church, could you, let's do something else. Could you imagine in a household where servants still existed for them to go up and say, well, I'm this level of a servant. No, 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 you're a servant. You're a servant. That's what you are. In the body of Christ, in the church, we are in service to the king. We execute the commands of another. And those commands are God, which means that every spiritual gift we have, listen, I'm not going to get a chance to talk today about the nuances of spiritual gifts. I don't have the time, and frankly, I don't even have the theology to wrap my mind around all of it perfectly. But here's what I want you to know. Everything you do is a means to an end, not an end in and of itself. Same thing is true for purpose. Every one of us came in this morning, and I asked you the question, how many of you, how many of you, want to have a purpose inside of life. And here's a struggle with what's happened with your purpose. Here's a struggle with what's happened with your spiritual gift, with your talents, with whatever it is. Here's, here's the struggle. You have made your thing an end in and of itself. You've made it the end all. As long as you get to do that, you're fine. You're good in life. As long as I get to sing, as long as I get to play, as long as I get to preach, as long as I get to teach, I'm perfectly good. And here's the struggle with that. When you make that, when you make your purpose an end and not a means, you live for that thing. And once it's accomplished, you don't care who it's helped. You just walk away. You're good. Listen, if I, was, if I thought that my gift of teaching or my job as a pastor was specifically set aside, specifically set aside as an end in and of itself, it would be easy for me, and this is common in pastors today, it would be easy for me to stand up on a stage, preach a message to you, and walk away and not worry at all. Why? Because I did my job. But that's not my job, is it? That's not my job. My job, my purpose, my gift, my whatever, it's a means to an end, which means I get up and teach for your sake. I get up and teach so that you will have the tools necessary to bring the kingdom to bear in your life. And guess when my job's done? When you bring the kingdom to bear in your life. You know why I feel like, I feel like this is a hard job? Because I don't always know when the kingdom is brought to bear in your life. Guess what will help me know that? Fellowship. It's an amazing thing. When we spend time together and I look out at you and I see that you're walking in obedience with God, and not necessarily because of something that I've said, but you're walking in obedience to God because you were dr driven to the scripture and you were driven to understand what God says, and maybe something I said helped you a little bit, but you were driven to it, then I get to go home and I get to go, finally, finally. But listen. If I come in every Sunday and the only job that I'm doing is teaching as an end and of itself, I'm concerned about my performance. I'm concerned about whether or not people like me. I'm concerned about so much stupid junk. It's ridiculous. And guess what my life has been characterized for most of my life? That. My gift, my talent, my abilities, whatever God has purposed me for, it's always an end and of itself. But it is not an end in and of itself. Your gifts, your abilities are for a purpose, and every one of those purposes is a kingdom purpose, and it is necessary inside of the body of Christ. So there's no more sitting on the sidelines. There's no more sitting back and saying, it just doesn't really matter. It absolutely matters. 
Every one of you matters. Why? Not so that I can preach you some sort of fluffy message. Every one of you matters because I want to grow up. I want to be built up. Do you want to be built up? Do you want to grow up? Well, guess what we need in order for that to happen? The person right next to you, right next to us. Will you turn to somebody next to you and say, I need you in the body of Christ? You do. You don't even know them, but you need them. I see some of you like, I ain't turning to him. It's not happening. I saw it. There was a, there was a fake. It was like, oh, I ain't doing that. Anyway. Gifting and purpose and talent, all of these things are a means to an end and not an end in of themselves. And here's what's so amazing. Here's where, here's where I know you're a true servant. Because when you don't get to do what it is that you love to do, but the body is still served because others are doing it, you're happy. You're finally happy. Why? Because you know everything you do is for an end. It's for an end. It is a means to an end. And so you're excited when somebody else comes up and you're like, amen. Like, that was awesome. Two weeks ago, we got that end. There was another end. It was so awesome. It was amazing to see Curtis come up and to teach. And I just loved the message that he delivered. It was strong on standing firm. Guess what? God's clearly gifted him, right? He is a teacher. That's who he is. But guess what? I don't go home and go, dang it. What, what am I supposed to do? What good it is? The only reason I would say that is when my gift becomes the end in and of itself. But when what it does is the end and my gift simply serves it, I'm excited. I'm excited because I want the end to happen, not necessarily my gift to manifest. You see what I'm saying? This is why the Bible tells those who speak in tongues, this will weird some of you out. I don't care. Anyway, so this is why the Bible says to those who speak in tongues, your gift is to be held in subjection as long as there's unless there's interpreter present. If there's no interpreter, be quiet. Wait a minute. Isn't my gift an end in and of itself? No, it's not. It's a means to an end. And if there is no way that potential edification and uh, prophetic utterance can go to the non-believer, if there's no way that that happens, zip it. Zip it. It doesn't help. That's amazing, church. It's amazing. This is why Paul harps on order, because order matters, because everything we do is actually a means to an end and not an end in and of itself. We all struggle with our purpose, but listen to me clearly today, church. Your purpose matters in the church, but it is an act of service to accomplish God's ends. That is all. That is all. That's why we can race to the back of the line and be okay if it gets done before we ever get there, right? That's why we love this act of service. This is what it is. Now, there's a lot to be said about spiritual gifts. There's a lot more to be said about that. And there's a lot of conversations that I'd love to have with you if you have questions about them. But what I want you to see is that the Apostle Paul tells us that every gift, every talent, every ability, every purpose for which we are in the church, they are all means to an end. They are not an end in and of themselves. The end is service. The end is obedience to God. Amen? So lastly, let me read you a story that illustrates all of these components. Okay? Being equipped for works of service, 
bringing the kingdom to bear inside of life, using spiritual gifts as a means to an end, and then just the building up of the body of Christ. It's all actually in this passage. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews. There's lots of interpretations for this. Some of it says the Greek-speaking Jews. Some of it against the natural Hebrew-speaking Jews. Whatever. Some say complaint against, and some say King James, I believe, says murmuring. There's a murmuring. How many of you love it when people murmur? Anyway, okay, moving on, right? But, but what I want you to see is that complaint and murmuring was not a boycott of the church. These widows were not saying, that's it, we're finding us a new church. That's the American model of murmuring and complaining. Instead, they simply said, hey, we're being overlooked, there's a problem here, right? So it says, on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily, say it with me, church, serving of food. The daily serving of food. So this was the, the mission of the first century church, to see obedience to God, acts of service, works of service played out. Okay, so verse 2 and verse 3. It says, so the 12 summoned, read it with me, church, the congregation. Who plays a part? Everybody plays a part. The congregation in this situation. Of the disciples who were how many? We don't know. They were just growing in number. Okay? We're not talking about the 12 apostles. We're talking about followers of Jesus. The disciples were growing in number. And so they summoned the congregation's first church meeting. Well, maybe. Anyway, so pretty awesome. So they summoned them and they said to them, here's what they said. This is really strange. It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God to serve tables. That line rubs lots of people the wrong way. That line rubs lots of people the wrong way because they go, they go, oh, so you want out of the hard work while you go do what you like. That critique is actually in the heart of the critique-er, okay? That heart is something else. Look at what the disciples actually said or the apostles. They said it's not desirable. It's not desirable. They didn't say we wouldn't do it. They simply said, it's not desirable for us to do this because we have a job, we have a task, we have something uh, for us. How many of you know that you can have a gift, you can have a talent, you can have an ability, you can have a purpose, all of which is to be leveraged for service, but your service and my service can be different. How many of you know this? Your service and my service can be different. We're not all to do the exact same thing all the time. We can, we can. But we're not all to do the exact same thing all the time. That's actually freeing if, you're, if you've thought about this for any length of time. It's freeing because there are things that would serve the body but that I'm not really any good at. So it wouldn't really help. But there are things that God has uniquely wired me for that serve the end, serve the body. And I want to do those, okay? So the disciples didn't say we won't do it. They just said it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God they were writing down the accounts. Remember the time frame in history? They're writing down the accounts. They're preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth. These guys have something really unique going on in the time of redemptive history, okay? So for the word of God to serve tables. So they go on. It says this, therefore, because of all this, therefore, let it go because nobody really wants to do it. No. Therefore, brethren, select from among you, out of this congregation, we're going to pick, I love this. I love this. Who did the selecting? The congregation. This is, this is warrant for church votes. No, it's not. Anyway, so, so it says, select from among you. It did, the apostles didn't jump in and say, we're smarter, better, and awesome. We'll make the call. 
They did give requirements for what is happening, and I want to take some time to explain that for a second. But it says, therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may, say this with me, church, put in charge of this task. It does not say do this task, to put in charge of this task. This is actually a sign of leadership, isn't it? Isn't it? But here's what I want you to see. Not only did the congregation choose, and the apostles didn't necessarily have to, although the apostles gave criteria. And criteria is always there in the scriptures. There's criteria to be an elder. There's criteria to be a pastor. There's criteria. Look it up. If you don't do it by God's way, you just don't need to be doing it, okay? So there's criteria for all these things. And here, there was a unique criteria. Do I believe that this is prescriptive for all people who take care of widows? No. I don't believe it is. Because James later tells us that true and undefiled religion among his followers, Jesus' followers, is to take care of the widows, the orphans, and the poor. Okay, that's, that's, that's something we're all called to, right? So anyway, he says, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men. The congregation got to choose this. They were to be people of a certain caliber, good reputation. Last thing we need is shady people cheating these people out of food and giving it to them, right? Good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom. Lots of interpretations, don't need to get into all this kind of chaos unless you actually want to talk about it. But it's full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we may put in charge of this task. They were chosen by the congregation. That, as I read it, that was people who said, I know exactly who you're talking about. That's the guy for the job. I know it. I know it. Don't even have to interview him. Don't need to talk to him. He's the dude. He would be awesome for this position. I believe that our gifts, I believe that the things that we do, I believe that the the good nature of our hearts, all of those things should be evident to those around us so that the selection process is pretty simple, okay? It was chosen by the congregation. The requirements were given by the apostles, and the men were immediately selected, and they were said to adhere to all of these and some in their in their categories. This is so important. So he goes on. Their gifts were intended to serve service, right? To serve in the place of obedience. So as obedience. But we will devote ourselves back to the apostles. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry. It's the same word as service, right? Deacunio or whatever, onea, whatever, of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation. It's the first time in human history where everybody in the church agreed on the same thing. Is that, that's praiseworthy right there. Like, woo, we finally got it. Every vote after that just went straight downhill. All of a sudden there was Baptists and Methodists. It just went everywhere. Okay? So the truth is they, they all agreed with this idea. And they chose. And they chose. And here's where you can't, like, you need to understand what the requirements were and then what's said of these men because there's something going on in the language here. But they chose Stephen. They restate of Stephen. This is a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. But they don't relist it among the others. It's not to imply they weren't. It's not to imply they weren't. That was the requirement to, to lead off with. These guys have to be a good reputation. You have to know they're born-again Christians. You have to know these people of the Spirit of God inside of their life. And they need wisdom because you need wisdom to do this kind of service, right? But in this, we also have another spiritual gift in Stephen, the gift of faith. How many of you want that spiritual gift? Yeah, because with that spiritual gift, we get to walk on water and do all kinds of mountain moving. It's awesome. Anyway, no, just messing with you, right? He's a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Here's how it concludes. This is the end of it. 
Verse 6, And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. So here's what was really awesome too. After they equipped these people, gave them the tools necessary to do the work of service, after they understood that their work of service was the end, and their gifts were the means, right, to, to serve this, they actually brought them before the church, laid hands on them, and commissioned them for the task. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's pretty cool. It's like, these are the guys. If you have a question about this in Jerusalem, if you have the question about this with regard to the widows being fed, these are the guys. How do we know? We just, we just anointed them, or we just, we just put them forward in this ministry. I think that's a really powerful thing. Acts 6, 1 through 6, actually serves as a perfect example of all that I've shared with you today. It's a perfect example of everything that happened. And what was the building up of the body that happened? The widows were no longer overlooked with their food, right? And men with gifts were used. Used for what? Used for the very purpose that God made them for to serve the body of Christ. It's an amazing thing. This is what works of service and what spiritual gifts all do. Church, I can't say this enough, and I'll just say it one last time before we move to the last section. You cannot make your gift, your talent, your purpose, your ability an end in and of itself. If you do, listen, I, not even what it affects everybody else with. If you do, it will only hurt you in the future. It will only hurt you. You will be the one who feels like you're never worth anything. You're the one who feels like if you don't get to play that day, you are somehow overlooked. And here's another thing that will happen. You will bounce from church to church to church to church until somebody affirms that your purpose is an end in and of itself. It's not. It's simply a means to serve the kingdom of God. You can't be proud when that's the truth. You are humbled from day one when that is the truth. And it sets you absolutely free. So the last piece is this. We want to hear how this builds up the body. So Ryan Syverton, without further ado, come up, take it away. We're all going to be marveling at No, <laughs> I'm embarrassing the snot out of him right now. It's great. Uh-oh, better turn this microphone on. Oh, yes, you do. Yes, I do. Yes. Awesome. So for many of you who don't know me, uh, I am Ryan Syvertson. I've been a member here for, I guess, about four, four years or so. Yeah. Uh, Nathan and I have been meeting about once a week here, and he invited me up here. So I guess if that's of any warning, don't get too close to Nathan or I'll ask <laughs> you to speak. <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> so I just wanted to share uh, a story of how someone serving me affected my faith life. And I grew up in the church. My parents, you know, took us all to church every Sunday up until, you know, even high school. I really never felt that I had a connection to Jesus. I proclaimed myself as a Christian. We were a Christian family, but nothing really was of my own. I was always just kind of going through the motions as a Christian. You went to church once a week. You went home Sunday afternoon. You did, you know, yard work and all was quickly kind of back into the normal world. So that really never, it doesn't, doesn't sit right with you, you know, after a while. So I, junior year of high school, I met, met a girl who's now my wife. And, uh, <laughs> and that, 
that was kind of the start of my faith life because I went into her household. Her father, you know, head of the table, he would, you know, pray for everybody. They'd have a biblical conversation over the dinner table, and it made me very uncomfortable at first. Um, wasn't used to that at all, but it intrigued me. And so I started going to youth group with her, and uh, that's truly where I, I want to go with this is the teachings and the discussions that we had from Nathan, the Birds, the Burks, all those people who were working with us as high schoolers, they didn't have to be there Wednesday evenings. They didn't have to show up every week, but they did. And through their service to us, that actually is where my faith life started. I developed a personal relationship with Jesus. I got saved through that youth group and it would have never happened had they not given their time to me. They had not served me. And, um, you know, it's very important having service in the church. While it may not, I could have just been, you know, another kid to them, another face at that youth group. Their service to me deeply impacted that. It brought me to Christ. And even now today, while I'm definitely no longer in high school, <laughs> I, uh, I'm still getting that service through the discussions, through the talkings that we have with the other gentlemen in Father's group, which if you want a great way to spend your 6 a.m. on Friday, <laughs> come on out. I'm not a father, but all are welcome, so come on out. It's a great group, but we just, we have a conversation, and we serve each other. Even, you know, we're not all teachers. We're not all preachers. We can't all be Nathan, but we serve each other. And you don't want to be. No. <laughs> So, you know, you can serve each other. We serve each other in that father's group. Nathan, the bird, uh, the birds, the Burks, all of our youth leaders, they served us. They didn't have to, but they did. And through that service in Christ, they brought me to Christ personally. I'm sure other people have similar stories. Um, but I think that's really all I wanted to say. Give him a hand, guys. I knew I loved you for a reason. Anyway, so this is huge. So... I gave you questions last week, and all of you, like most high school students, don't do your homework, I'm sure. Anyway, so I gave you questions. Did any of you fill out your questions? Show of hands. Some of you already gave them to me. I love you. I love you. You're like the, the nerdy kids who just try to get extra credit. I love that. <laughs> Makes me happy. Okay, so let me go through these questions real quick. This is, this is how we're going to close. Ryan's testimony is a perfect example of how everybody serving, everybody doing this stuff, served the body of Christ, and the body of Christ was actually built up, if in no other way than a member was added to the body of Christ. Isn't that fantastic, right? That's a way that the body is built up. So it's a huge deal. So, so I asked you the first question, which is, uh, how has God gifted you for works of service? And I listed on this spiritual gifts, talents, how you've been wired, etc. The same thing that I listed before. How has God gifted you for works of service? The question is phrased specifically because I want you to start getting it in your mind that you are gifted for something, not for itself. You're not just walking around prophesying. You're not just walking around doing this or that. You are serving people. So what I want you to do, uh, if you've not filled this out, is I want you to think hard about these questions. And I want you to be praying because the only way, listen clearly, church, the only way we can build the whole body of Christ up is when everybody plays their part. So I need you to think. 
I need you to search for what this gift is, for what these abilities are, for what these purposes are, okay? And then I want you to send them to me. You can send them to me at nathanfrankhauser at gmail.com or nathan, that's not a, an email address, nathanfrankhauser at gmail.com or piercepointchurch at gmail.com. Either one, you can send them and I will get them somehow, right? So give me the answer to this question because I want to know how you can be plugged in for service. We're in this stage with Ryan. We're learning all of the cool things, me and him sitting one-on-one on on a Tuesday morning. We're we're learning what it is that he's gifted in. And we're going to work that out so that his gift can be leveraged for service in obedience, right? So that's really important. So the first thing I want you to answer, how has God gifted you for works of service? If you haven't settled it in your heart already, please understand your gift is to be used in service. It's not, it doesn't deserve its own stage. It is in service, amen? The second one, how can we help equip you? Maybe it's through teachings like this, but maybe it's other things. Maybe you go, well, I, I feel gifted in this, but I'm not really sure what the Bible actually says about all of these things. And, or I would love to know somebody who has this same gift so that I could work beside them and learn from them. I want to know the answer to that question. The third question, are you currently serving in an area outside of Pierce Point Community Church in which we can help? There are some of you who have amazing gifts and you use them for things like prison ministry. You use them for things like, uh, I I got a card that said I'm a volunteer for the Emmaus Walk and it's just a big part of my life. Those are things that I'm talking about. That's all, that all can kind of come into the body of Christ in some way as it points to Jesus and we want to do whatever we can to help you help them, right? That's a huge deal. So answer that question. And then last but not least, what is the biggest issue that you're facing right now in which you need prayer? If you say to me, I need desperate need because I have no idea how my kids are going to know Jesus by the time they last, they, they get through high school, then good, we start that conversation. That's your big prayer, but that's our call to action, okay? That's your big prayer, but that's our call to action. And so we're going to jump on that. And we're going to look at ways that we can do this, whether that's conversations, apologetics classes, whatever it is. We've got to do what we're called to do, amen? And so that's my purpose. My purpose is to serve you by equipping you. So I want to know the answers to those questions. I want to know if you say, my biggest prayer right now is, uh, is making sure my marriage stays together. Good, let's talk about it. Let's talk about what God says. Let's talk about what, uh, what we can do to come alongside you. Let's talk about how we, uh, you know, wade the dark waters or the hard waters of, of frustration with relationships. Let's talk about that kind of stuff because that's the call. That's the leadership's call in this church, whether you know that or not. And so we want to be there for you. We want to be there to equip you, and we want to see you built up. We want to see you walking tall and strong. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.